0: Uh, boys we're back it's the year 2024 rob for real uh, you've only been in this office for a few minutes after taking a little time off russ have you done any skiing yet i know we asked you about I skiing have. last we time you did the, yeah, good yeah, got apparently in. the biggest winter storm to hit the sierras is happening right now literally right now correct it was raining in burlingame a few minutes ago when i was outside and we'll get to this in a few minutes with our very special guest But I feel like there's a fair bit of a weather conversation to have with our special guest because when our guest was here last time, it was around this time of year, and California served up its finest weather.
1: (laughs) It was unbelievable. This is why we're doing this.
0: Quite happy to be here. So, that being said, welcome back to another episode of Burlingame and Park. We're coming at you live from the intersection of Burlingame Avenue and Park Street, and of course, lovely Burlingame, California. I'm here with my co-host, Rob Kaplan. Rob, so good to have you. It is great to be here. <laughs> and Russ Kaplan. It's great to have you as well. Hello. <laughs> Fellas, like I said, first pod of the year, do we need to shake the rust off? I thought it was, you know, I, Russ, I'm not sure what the over-under was on Rob actually being here in this seat for this pod and special guest guest. Don't announce yourself just yet, but I did also warn you that Rob was coming in on a red oh. eye, and I think all three of us were like, there's no way this no, is No, happening. no, no, no.
1: I knew he was going to be here. What condition he was going to be here in, <laughs> that was the unclear part. It's actually doing okay, I think, for now. <laughs> That's fair. I don't want to be fair. around him at three o'clock this afternoon. I don't think I have to be.
0: That's fair. Rob, I do have to give you credit. You look much fresher than I was expecting. A little unshaven, but much fresher. So, well done to you, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much. Like I said, weather being a factor with this particular guest... One thing that makes this recording quite unique is that we're actually, I think this is the first time for this particular podcast, is like, by the time you hear this, we're dropping a new collab, and it has been helmed by the both of you and our special guest. Rob, why don't you introduce who we have on the line with us here? Ladies and gentlemen.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I introduce to you the great NBS... Nicholas Bowmans gargill the uh the CEO and the man who brought the fierce watch company uh back to life that's right
3: hello Nicholas hello good morning good evening I don't know what time zone we're on <laughs> I don't it's great to be of here us <laughs> <laughs> too as
0: well Nicholas it's an honor to have you thank you for staying up late I know it's a tall order uh, but not not I mean GMT it's it's uh it's half past pint 30 right?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's the early evening, so it's fine. It works well. It's, uh, it's a perfect time for the, for, uh, our time zones colliding, but I also love the fact we're talking about weather. So as a, as a Brit, I'm used to talking about the weather for many hours every single day. So hopefully we're going to have <laughs> some good weather conversations.
1: I I actually have some very, but, I've, but I gotta say yes. last year as a Brit, I think our weather even surprised you. Yes. A Brit used to crappy weather. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, I mean, I, it, I, I, I was glad I to have photos my of it, and I was like, "Why did we subject
0: him to this? Like, whose idea was this?" Well, it happened by accident. This Who knew? Crazy. I mean, the running joke is, "Come to California; it'll be sunny and warm." They say, but Northern California, as as we will kind of talk about on the pod today, given the topic at hand on the tray in front of us, Northern California is not. Southern California. It is a world apart. We have our own weather. We have our own culture. We have our own everything here. It might as well be a completely different state. Um, and uh, I look forward to getting stuck into it with you fellas. Nicholas, uh, you look amazing as ever, Sharp. I mean, it's this time in the evening, no one's tie should still be as crisp as your tie is. So, uh, and it also it would not be a Burlingame and Park without a phone interruption, a Diet Coke can cracking. <laughs> I'm not going to put whose phone that was on blast. It was mine. <laughs> it's, usually, it's usually Rob. So, Russ, thank you for, for taking that. Fellas, let's get stuck into it. Let's. Uh, how about a quick wrist check with uh, with our good friend Nicholas here. And, Nicholas, actually, do you really go by NBS? Is that for real? Or is that just Rob being cheeky?
3: No. Well, I, I never really did. <laughs> so I only got the second part of my surname when I got married in 2011. So I used to just Fair be plain play. old. Nicholas Scargill, and then <laughs> double barreled it to Bowman Scargill, which sounds wonderfully pretentious and fancy. And but I suddenly started realizing when I was running fears that a lot of my colleagues would start putting notes in meeting minutes or against documents, basically being like, has NBS checked this off? And it's now become this whole thing when you suddenly realise like, you know, I have what my husband calls me, I have what my friends call me, what my mum calls me, and then what my colleagues call me behind my back and it's NBS. So NBS has now become this
0: thing. (laughs) I would expect nothing less, quite frankly. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, let's, um, why don't you take us away? What are you wearing? And again, we can talk about what's on the tray in front of us, because by the time the listener gets to this, this project will have launched. So we're quite thrilled. So if you're wearing one of these pieces, uh, what is it? What are you wearing? Well, no,
3: I thought what would be appropriate. I'm wearing one of the the OGs, ah, very one of the first series, one of the, uh, the ones, uh, the first collaboration from June 2022. And... Yeah, it's lovely to have it back on the wrist. It really reminds me just how special this watch was when we brought this one out, the first collab.
0: And and to be clear, was this collaboration from 2022, was this really Fears' first ever sports watch? And again, listener, when did, Nicholas, take us back, when did, when did Fears launch? This is kind of a, a very mid-century inspired piece. It has kind of a topper, jeweler's bit of embellishing to it. But my understanding was that this was the first sports watch that Fears ever had in its catalog, past, present, or future, right?
3: Modern Fears. Well, certainly in the modern Fears. So Fears had had certain sports watches, but Fears wasn't always known for sort of tool watches, sports watches. And certainly back in 2020, so four years into my restarting of my family's watch company, was when I met Rob for the first time. And at that point, all of our collection was very classic. It was was very elegant, very understated, but very much on the classic side. And so it was when I met Rob and he first put out the idea of doing a collaboration. And he was like, I would love to bring this sort of British elegance and combine it with the sort of Californian, cool, sporty vibe and bring the two together. So in the modern fears, it was the first uh, automatic fears had done in about 50 years. And the first one we'd done with Loom for for many, many years. So it really was the kind of combining of, of two together. And in terms of the mid century, absolutely. We we brought in certain little elements from the Fears archive and made sure that they they played a little feature on this watch.
0: And and one of those elements Rob wanted to point out is the tropicalized text on the case back. What is what does that mean?
3: So when we were going through the archive, we were looking at some of the old adverts from the 1940s and 1950s, and Fears was very proud to be making waterproof watches, dustproof, moisture-proof. And rather than promoting them as being for diving or sports, the idea was that if you were living in the tropics, you know, in high humidity (laughs) places, this watch would withstand living in the tropics. And so they very proudly talked about it being tropicalized. But also the first stainless steel fears watches appeared at this time. And rather than saying stain stainless steel, they hadn't yet used that phrase properly. So they called it stains less. Uh-huh. And I love this. It's just a kind of slight change in, in language. And in fact, our German oh, yeah. case maker, oh, yeah. when they were doing making the cases and doing the engraving, they contacted us and said, look. I know we're German and we, English isn't our first language, but I think this is a spelling mistake. But it's just little Easter eggs. I mean, that's a big thing at Fears. It's kind of, we just like to bring in a few of those little things from from the archive, from the heritage and making them relevant and bringing them in. No, I love that. I love
2: so that. obviously the first limited edition we did from our perspective was a big hit in that they, they quickly sold out. But one of the things that I think about in terms of when when I thought of doing this project for you was, it seems to have had a pretty substantial lasting impact on on how Fears is perceived in the type of offerings that Fears now sells. So like, like how has this project sort of changed the way that Fears now has automatic watches and what percentage like of the Fears business now is our, our sport watches?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was the first of the larger 40 millimeter case. Prior to this, we'd only done a 38mm case, manual wind, small seconds. And when the first Topper edition came out, I mean, when it sold out almost instantaneously, we started getting an absolute barrage of requests and inquiries saying, look, is this a direction you're going to do? Because a lot of people wanted that, that fierce, elegance and design language, but wanted it in a more sporty everyday style of watch. And so today, yeah, the, the automatics, the larger case outsells the, the smaller manual significantly. And I mean, it's, it's a funny thing because this watch launched originally in June, 2022, we actually had an inquiry this week from someone asking you know oh i've seen this available i I see topper have sold out of it do you have any available is there one left remaining that i can purchase and i mean that's the thing we've had for the last year and a half is people wanting this watch and i think that really speaks strength to it it wasn't just the oh it's new it's a collab it's hype it's the fact that actually we created a very special design and a very special combination of the two together
0: did you tell them just to put a kettle on and uh give it a minute.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we were tempted to. What we did was we said, well, we'll we'll, we'll have a look. We'll have a, we'll, we'll see what can happen and uh we we'll, we'll drop you an email next week. I I'm, I'm I'm a little bit sort of obsessive about not revealing things until yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right right for them to go out. But, you know, we've built up a list of of people over the years who have inquired about this watch and so I think there's going to be a lot of excited people when they see that not only has the collaboration come back? But it's come back in in a different form, and so I think it's going to make a lot of people very excited.
0: Yeah, no, I love that, and we'll get to that form in a bit. We should um,
2: probably keep risk check.
0: I know. I was just going to say we should we should finish the risk check before we get too
2: deep into this because I, By the I way, definitely the have the some average observations. Of our risk checks tend to run about. Well, you listen to our pod; they tend yeah, to run forty, 40 about or fifty f- minutes. F- f- <laughs> fifty minutes of the risk check <laughs> and ten minutes of, for the remainder of the pod. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right, Rob, why don't you tell us what you're wearing then?
2: I am wearing the white dial topper California dial mm-hmm. uh, Fears Edition and I'm wearing it on the Azure blue strap, which wasn't the strap that it originally came on, no. but I love it because it really uh, brings out the, the blue on the on the railroad track. so,
0: and, and listener, the collab, just to be clear, was available in two colors. It was a set. So Nicholas is wearing the black dialed version with yellow accents, and Rob is wearing the white lacquer dial with blue accents. And the white is very kind of a topper aesthetic. I think, mm-hmm. Rob, in, in past topper editions, you've long kind of retained this aesthetic right. for um, the white on blue. blue on white,
2: White and blue together is one of my absolute favorite aesthetics, and I think it's important that it not like define like every watch that we do, but I don't feel that we've reached peak white blue. I, it is a, a look that uh, <laughs> you will not be seeing today, but a look that, uh, that I certainly it might be available sometime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, I love it. Russ, what are you wearing?
1: Well, since I of course would aspire to dress as well as Nicholas naturally have on the same watch that he's wearing, which Can't is we the all... black version of our, limited edition watch. only difference is mine's on a bracelet. And it is worth noting that all of these watches do have a bracelet option to them. That's a good call. uh, With slight subtle differences between the bracelets, a few different versions of bracelets. Yep. One thing
2: also interesting about that bracelet versus all other Fierce bracelets is to my knowledge, and this will not change with this release today, that was the only all brushed uh, satin bracelet. Um, Most Mm -hmm. other Fierce bracelets... Are a combination of brushed and high polish. And but your brushed it, your your bracelet is all brushed. Yep.
0: And to describe this a bit, it's kind of an engineer style with the oversized. It's a five link, I believe, uh, which is in some circles is called engineer style. So as opposed to like a hmm. beads of rice or an oyster style bracelet. I've or a seen, jubilee, if you will, or a jubilee. Thank you. Yep. I've I've heard these referred to as uh, five link or engineer. So five. Each of the five links are kind of all the same size, and often they alternate in brushed and polished links. But these these are all brushed. For this and version.
1: by the way, I do have a comment about the success of our first watch, mm-hmm. which is, listen, it's really it's true for us that obviously on a commercial level, the fact that we have the ability. To sell them quickly is a big deal for us however it's an even bigger deal for us sort of as a and i was a business or as i don't know somebody who likes to do these things who we do enjoy doing them that over the course of time now it's been out for what close to two years right mm-hmm. how many people tell me on a repetitive basis how much they love mm-hmm. their watch and mm-hmm. that really makes me happy mm-hmm. and, and kudos to you two who mostly did this. (laughs) Yeah. Russ was incredibly
2: um, involved. And as you'll learn more, as we discuss this newest collaboration and this new collaboration, but um, the first one was very much of a look what we did, look what I'm doing. And you're like, with who? (laughs) And you're like, why?
3: (laughs) Well, I always remember the first time I met Russ wasn't in Burlingame. It was in Geneva in a coffee shop. And I had one of the original prototypes of the first collaboration. And Robert said, oh, you can meet up with Russ, you can show him the watch. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I'm meeting Russ for the first time and he hasn't seen this watch before. And it was he very no nerve wracking. And I'm like, oh and,
2: and by the way, he doesn't really get the project either. So good luck with that. Stop it.
3: <laughs> no, but it was, it was always that moment where you're thinking, oh my goodness, And I remember I, I showed it to him and yeah, we discussed it and we had, we had a really good coffee. And it was a really good, yeah, it was good first meeting. It is, as I it is
0: kind of like meeting meeting like your partner's parents though. It's like, are they gonna like this thing? Like, do they think it's cool? Do they think I'm cool? <laughs>
3: Well, I, I think it was the fact emotions. that when I when I then left the coffee shop and we, we parted ways, I think about 10 seconds later, my phone rings and it's Rob going, so what did Russ think of it? Did he like it? <laughs> Classic. Perfect.
1: <laughs> it was one on he would call wonderful. you... It's
3: really kind of perfect he'd call
1: you, not me. That's perfect.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Well, I will round out this wrist check. I don't own a Fears, but this is the most Fears watch I have. And the first time... The first time I was exposed to the brand, my initial reaction was like, wow, that looks like a Panerai mirror." And when you kind of dive into the history of watchmaking from that era, the 40s and 50s, you see a lot of these really cool oversized crown circle in a square type cases. Some of them had welded lugs, some of them had more machined lugs. And uh, I believe like the Rolex, the bubble back is also a classic. I don't know the Rolex reference. I don't know Rolex is super well, but I just know the bubble back is a kind of a shared architecture that you see from this particular design. Again, kind of a circle and a square. And what I love about the fears is that whereas the, so this Panerai, this uh, it's a PAM 655, uh, 42 millimeter. This is kind of their classic radio mirror with a micro rotor. Actually, I really quite like this watch. I love this aesthetic and what's cool about the fears case, particularly the sportier version that you guys have done with the automatic movement is that honestly, I feel like it takes this aesthetic or both of these watches, I think, had a shared aesthetic from the mid-century already. I don't think I'm not saying one came before the other, and we'll get to this in a little bit because I, oh, I do uh, want to dive into Fierce's oh, history. We,
2: we we need to get into that <laughs> because that <laughs> because honestly, once I found the answer to that question, which is what I found out the day that I met Nicholas for the first time, it's when okay. it gave me 100 percent confidence. Oh, I love this! And for a couple more reasons that this was something that we needed to do. Oh, I love this! We'll get
0: into that. As I'm holding both of these side by side, you know, I, I love that the, the fears has it kind of has like the the next sort of level of refinement with regards to the shape of the case. It feels as though, you know, maybe this case had been lying in a stream for many years and it has just been sort of like washed over. The edges are a little more rounded. It. It's more pebble-like, which is really beautiful. It still maintains that kind of circle in a square shape, oversized crown, similar lug shape. This is a beautiful, this is like, to me, it's like quintessential mid-century watchmaking. And I love that. And I feel like that particular era is really important to Fierce's overall sort of design language and kind of like the DNA of the brand, right? Like, what's the, what's the quick and dirty of when did Fierce start, uh, you're the third generation Managing director, right?
3: So I'm, I'm actually without- the. I, I, okay. Edward Fears okay.
2: Edward would, would be most unhappy to hear you say that. <laughs> okay. Take I'm a, sorry, Edward. Take the listener. <laughs> we, so- <laughs> we famously don't review show notes so that it's it sounds fresh. Yeah, shout out, Edward. Yeah. Friend of the pod, Edward Fears. <laughs> So Nicholas, why don't you t- take us through the the fears do, family tree? We
0: do probably have listeners that uh, are not familiar with fears. It's a British independent. Uh, maybe are not familiar with the Topper project. But let's let's get them caught up to speed real quick before we get too deep in the weeds with this particular project.
3: Certainly. Well, in which case we'll uh, we'll start with the elevator the elevator answer, on. and then uh, and then we'll <laughs> dive in. So fears is okay, quite unusual. Two hundred
2: floor building.
3: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Or or 178 floors for the 178 years. So Fears is one of Britain's oldest and youngest watch companies. So it was originally founded by my great, great, great grandfather. So that makes me the sixth generation of the the Fear family. But um, it was founded in Bristol in 1846. And I mean, 1846 is so long ago. Queen Victoria was still in her 20s. So, we're talking like early Victorian period, many, many, many years ago. And it ran for 130 years until 1976, running through three generations of the Fear family. And in, at its peak, they had 100 watchmakers in Bristol. They were exporting to 95 countries around the world. You know, it was a very sizable manufacturer. You know, it was the largest watch company in the West of England and probably only second to Smith's up in Sheffield. And Smith's is an old British watch company that a lot of people will have heard of.
0: Yep. That's Um, exactly the approximation I was looking for. So frame of reference, we're talking about the same era that we see a lot of vintage old Smith's watches these days as well, for
2: sure.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, So, so Nicholas, I've never asked you before, when in the business plan will you wind up with 100 watchmakers?
2: <laughs> we'll get there.
3: <laughs> well, I mean one the limited edition at a time. Well, so the, the the interesting thing about Smiths, so Smiths was founded five years after Fears and closed five years before Fears. So we actually outlived them by 10 years total. But it closed the fourth generation of the family. He didn't want to keep the family business going. During the Second World War, he'd gone and fought, he'd seen the world and he wanted a career. He wanted to keep traveling the world. So the business closed down and lay dormant for 39 years and I knew I'd had relatives who were watchmakers you know when I applied to become an apprentice watchmaker at Rolex my mother had said to me oh you know it must be in your blood you know your great grandfather and his father were watchmakers but that's all she had said so I start working at Rolex absolutely loving the job it's wonderful And it was all going swimmingly until about two and a half years in, I have a meeting with a pension advisor. Now, the Rolex pension, amazing, really generous. But as I was leaving that meeting, he makes the classic pension advisor joke, looks at my paperwork and goes, well, only 40 more years to go then. You know, ha ha ha, you know. And as I walked back down into the workshop, I suddenly thought, you know what, I love this job, but I think I want to do more. You know, I actually am going to be sat at the same workbench doing the same work for the rest of my working life. And I then for the next few weeks were feeling kind of quite disjointed about this. And I went back home and I spoke to my parents and I said, look, I'm wondering if maybe I want to do something else, maybe set up my own business, but I don't know what it would be. I don't know what industry it would be. Even though I was working in the watch industry, I wasn't thinking set up a watch company. And this is over Sunday lunch. My mum's serving up the roast potatoes and jokingly goes, well, darling, why don't you restart the family watch company? (laughs) <laughs> and it's that absolute eureka moment and also that thing where you think why wouldn't her mother have said something earlier you know it's just a kind of offhand comment and that offhand comment leads us right through today where fears has now been seven and a half years trading again and I, we are not yet up to 95 countries around the world with uh fears owners but we're we're getting pretty close you know we have watchers in five that. continents so it's um yeah, it's, it's been quite a whirlwind. So the company officially restarted trading in 2016 after two okay. years of me desperately trying to learn how to set up a watch company. And at that point, it was just myself. It was just one oh. person. And even when I in 2019 came out to the US, was touring around and then came to Burlingame, met with Rob, this was still just me. But now, today, we're back in our historic home city of Bristol. There's is now nine, nearly 10 people. So we're still not, we haven't yet got 100 watchmakers, you know, give, give me a few few more years to go. But it's wonderful being back in our city. And in fact, across the road from the head office is a cemetery where the three previous managing directors are buried. Oh, wow. So when I walk to work and I walk past the cemetery, you kind of have that feeling like they're keeping an eye on me. They're checking (laughs) that, you know, they're checking that I'm not, you know, destroying the legacy and uh, screwing it up too much.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that. I mean, a proper indie darling, I would say, but an indie, you know, oftentimes like a lot of independent brands are starting from scratch. And when the brand was kickstarted back in 2016, it was done. So with a, with a number of strong archival references that were kind of brought back into the catalog correct um, Right. but what we're seeing with the topper edition is we're starting to see iterations on these archival designs that are sort of looking that are a little more sort of future forward i suppose is that, yeah, is that safe yeah, to say yeah yeah
3: definitely and i think you know back in 2016 the easiest thing i could have done is just looked at the archive and said Here's a nice watch let's completely mm-hmm. copy it and bring it back mm-hmm. out. you know mm-hmm. if you think back 2016 in watch watch years feels like a lifetime ago you know <laughs> vintage, neo vintage was absolute king you know it, it was a mm-hmm. very different you, you know you could still actually you know go and buy a patek Nautilus yeah, yeah. or a Rolex submariner. but the thing was I realized I wanted to try and probably be too clever but I wanted to think if the company hadn't closed in 1976, what would? it be making today. And that means thinking, right, what are the DNA? What are the little, you know, as you're saying, the archival references. So, you know, we don't put 1846 anywhere on the watch, which goes against what a lot of brands would do, because I'm going, well, actually, when you've got it, you don't have to flaunt it. It's just, you know, just carefully weaving it in as part of the story. So I think, and, you know, that means that when we came to doing the first Topper collaboration, it was a case of going, well, actually, this is now adding to the Fierce Mm -hmm. History book. You know, Mm -hmm. this is a thing of going, well, this is now added to it. And as Rob correctly said, it's then had an influence on the direction we've gone subsequently and how things have evolved. And I think that's the thing, you know, running a watch company, it's it's kind of a living, breathing thing, you know, not to get too philosophical about it, but it is. And it's (laughs) really interesting to see how things change and evolve.
0: No, I love that. I mean, the thing that's amazing about this watch is it looks as though it's been in the catalog all along, despite being quite a, a
2: modern iteration, Rob. Well, I remember when, when I met you, Nicholas, in 2019, the, the, the first question I asked you was, what year did the Radomir come out? And, and <laughs> what was the answer?
3: 1936.
2: December. And what year did Fierce start doing uh, this Cushion Cape case? 1924.
3: Watch? 12 years earlier
2: and I was like huh (laughs) and because I remember meeting you that day and I've talked about this I know on other pods before um I met you with a friend of the pod guest of the pod he's been described as the center of the Bay Area watch collecting community watch diversion uh that's who brought me to um it's true, we're yeah. Him here. Shout out to um, Rick watched a version of Friend of the Pod, introduced you to, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he, drove he drove you. He drove to, he d- that's yeah. Right. Yeah. so anyway, I remember I remember what well, anyway, what once there there was I think at the time, almost like you had like a nervousness that if you did something sporty, people would think that mm. you were actually riffing on Parai. And that it wasn't your sort of your own creative thing. And so that was one of to me sort of the the romantic ideals of the project as I thought about it was, well, there's just this idea that, oh, well, what if, you know, the you know, the original California dial sort of came about, you know, supposedly from uh Looking at samples of Rolexes, right? Yep. Uh, but w- what if this dealer in California, f- who wanted something for a sportier market, just custom ordered this sportier, this sportier version of the watch? And that I don't know. I just I thought that if I sort of influenced it and it didn't directly come from you you would like have a cover (laughs) like if it didn't work out like plausible deniability these these californians made me do it (laughs) they 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 wanted this california dial but um but anyway i i'm i'm very happy to see this this arm of the collection for you because i i do think that there is something about just the style the feel the energy that does feel unique and i've always loved the Radomir, and as soon as I met you and looked at these watches, um, all perfectly uh, synchronously set in a in a in a box, his he pulled out his uh, collection of watches at the time uh, when I met him in 2019. I just thought this is someone who's going places, and this this is someone who was go- who is going to be a star in in the watch industry, and I was just thrilled thrilled to be able to. You know, have it have it all line up the way that it did.
1: Gee, I, and I said, Who is that guy? Rob, get back to work. I, <laughs> I feel compelled
0: to point out that anytime Nicholas hands you a watch for demonstrative purposes or to to show it to you for the first time, Russ, you can probably attest to this. When you met him for the first time, yep. Geneva, he handed you a running watch that was 100%. set to ten ten, did he not? Yep, he did. He knew it, of course. We yeah. won't say how he does it, Nicholas, but yeah. the <laughs> world runs at ten ten so, so, inside your jacket pocket. It's incredible.
1: You know I actually have a comment about this and how it relates to us, which is, I think, part of why it is that Rob and Nicholas, and frankly, me too, why we get along as well as we do, is that this vision of taking something from the past and making it modern is really sort of a shared thing that we both like. We did a limited edition watch with the Auris. Yeah, it's funny. 2016 was also a year of firsts for
2: us. Because in, in 2015, we did two 75th anniversary pieces that right. were reflective about us. But 2016 was our first attempt to do a, a
1: mid-century modern piece. But it was really the second one, when we took the mid-century modern idea and said, what would happen if we made it out of modern material and did it in this really modern way? The Oris, When we did the Oris dive watch, where we made a mm-hmm. modern version of mm-hmm. their sort of retro dive watch. And that watch... In a lot of ways, has a, for me a lot of similarities to how we feel about this of taking this design from the mm-hmm. past and then making it modern. I think, and
0: that and that aligns with what what Nicholas was saying earlier, kind of well. I mean, Nicholas, you said that uh, as you were evaluating what the modern collection looked like, it you were answering kind of the hypothetical question of what would the Fears catalog look like had the brand not stopped operating.
3: Yeah, absolutely, because it's. When you've got the history we've got, when you've got all this heritage, you've got this archive. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're recording this in my soundproof stock room and we have a whole shelving unit filled with all the catalogued items for the archive. We actually employ a part-time archivist to manage archive, but also manage the modern archive. Because, you know, he keeps pointing out that, you know, despite well, I think one day I will pass away and there'll be a fifth managing director. And people will want to look back and look at the Nicholas years as we talk about the Edwin years, the Amos Daniel, mm-hmm. the Amos Reginald years, you know, the the different managing directors. But for me, it's that thing of going, you could get trapped by it. You mm-hmm. can be trapped in. And the point, the point Rob made really resonates with me because the thing with a collaboration is it gives you gives you an excuse to play outside your comfort zone mm. because it means that you're not suddenly scaring people by saying, oh, look, we completely changed. You got used to us doing this and now we're doing this. It gives people to, you know, you kind of get to, to play in a different exciting area. And I think, you know, I think back to when we were designing this and that was during the pandemic, you know, it was late night phone calls for me, you know, and we we're going backwards and forwards, and it was. I mean, I'll be honest, at the time, bearing in mind that I didn't have, you know, my in-house designer working for me, I didn't have a team working for me, it was just, you know, just myself. And it was kind of hard at first having someone kind of pushing back on my ideas and then suggesting mm-hmm. things that at first, I was a bit like, oh, really? I'm not sure about that. And, you know, there was a lot of sort of play and give, but it really, I think that's where it works. And, you know, with what, like Russ was saying, like, I think one of the things that also means why the three of us get on well is I'm a stuck up Brit here in Bristol, right? You know, I'm in my suits, I'm drinking my tea, you know, I live a very different life. But, you know, when I'm out in Burlingame, it's that thing that we know we're running businesses that have hit family history, Mm -hmm. you know, we're respectful of that. And it's, you know, people can bandy around the word legacy and all that, but it's that thing where, you know, it's not just a kind of, you know, you set it up and, you know, you really care because you know how important it is to your family, you know, and I think that's that core thing. If you've got that and you appreciate and respect that, it doesn't matter whether you're in Northern California or Bristol, England, you've got something very powerful and strong in common.
2: No,
0: I I, I love that. And I think I've, I've said this before about this particular collaboration, but, you know, you said that there were ideas in there that maybe... Gave you pause, but at the same time, when I look at this watch, my first thought is like, wait, this didn't exist already. Like it it feels really, really fluid. It feels very seamless into what everyone has been doing all along, even though it is quite new and quite novel. And I want to get into the new, the new capsule, essentially the series two of this particular collection. It's the continuation of what you guys started in twenty twenty two. And I wanna get into what that looks like because I'm I am noticing some very subtle differences from the watch that was on Rob's wrist versus uh the new capsule that's in front of me. I guess take us through and, and and before we get into our heavy weather conversation, I mean, when did when did the
2: plans begin for a continuation of that? Uh so I would say within a few days of it of it selling out, it was and, and just the reception we got for it it was obviously clear that we wanted to do something else. Uh, the first thing we did was uh, we mocked up uh, a beautiful light blue version of the watch um, and it was striking uh, and it was not Tiffany Blue Russ there uh, did you listen Thank I don't goodness. know if you listened to our last pod. <laughs> oh yeah
3: it wasn't Pantone 1837 no 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 there there you <laughs> it wasn't that
2: but um, but anyway and so I just remember looking at it and thinking okay, so here we were. We did this sort of we d- we we went through this whole sort of process of creating the first watches, and now all we're doing really is just doing the same thing in another color. Mm-hmm. And and does it have enough heart to really? It, you know, is it? W- would Edwin be happy? Would would would? <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> would Bill Kaplan be happy? And um and I just started thinking about well. California dial, California dial, California dial. And then I was thinking, you know, you give John Lennon a tuba, you're going to get something out of it. You know what? We should take Nicholas to places that are some of our favorite places in California. And rather than just doing it like we did the first one, which was amazing. I'm so thrilled with how those watches came out. But I kind of felt like we had an opportunity to sort of have a shared experience of collaboration in a different way. And I had this idea that if we brought, brought Nicholas out and brought him with us and took him to some of our favorite places in California, it would at least bring like another level of texture to a new spit on what it meant to be a California dial. But also we'd get to make something that was out of a shared experience and that, you know, maybe some, something more... Would come of it. And if not, it would still be fun to just hang out with Nicholas for a week. So <laughs> so that was my, that that was the basic concept was I was like, Nicholas, you go to windups, you go to this watch show and that watch show. But in a way, you're kind of always seeing like the same airport lounge. That's true. You know, you're mm-hmm. meeting the same collector. With Who this- has the best airport lounge, by the way?
3: <laughs> um, oh, 100% the Centurion Amex Lounge in London Heathrow. It is. It's what one hundred percent worth wow. yeah. having the platinum card for. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a great lounge.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. Shout out. Shout out to <laughs> MX X Centurion. That is. A, that's a great lounge. <laughs> uh, listener Nicholas is uh, always on an airplane somewhere, so I feel like right. if I ever want to ask, like who has a good, who has like good food international but, lounge, but, I have this card. But anyway,
2: I, I you know I I really wanted to take him to some of our favorite spots. Yep. And just to give him a different experience and see if anything came of it.
0: And I think you know California is a known entity, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like what what is known about California tends to be what is known about Los Angeles. And mm. whenever I or have friends, San Francisco. Yeah, uh, I don't. Whenever I have, I, I mean, I've lived in the Bay Area for ten years, and whenever friends come out from the Midwest or from the East Coast, they expect LA because LA is what is known about California. And when they get here it's cold, it can be kind of moody, depending on the time of year. I mean, we have, we have three and a half seasons, we've, we've joked about this before, but Northern California has, I think, a kind of variety that you don't see in Southern California or really anywhere else in the world. And I think what's really unique about this collection is you guys looked at the different climates and the different types of places that inspire you as a family, to build a collection around, and Nicholas, when you were here for for your big tour, California served up its finest weather. <laughs> it's oh my fun. goodness! The winter
3: jo- was <laughs> the jokes that came because I arrived and I, th- I arrived, and there were huge floods. And like I think a few days before, Just Burlingame Avenue floor. had been like massively flooded and water had been like, you know, coming into the store and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, so
2: on New, on New the, Year's is, Eve, the, the, the on New Year's Eve, day, the the storm,
1: like the storm drains of Burlingame basically... Before, before you say this, can I just make the comment that Rob saved our store with bubble wrap? But go ahead.
2: Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, we'll get to that. I'll tell you what happened. It was, um, so there was like, there was basically a flash flood on Burlingame Avenue because all of the storm drains like hadn't been cleared in years because Burlingame game hadn't seen this kind of weather and it was sort of like i mean in a very non-dramatic way i mean it was a little bit like apollo 13 in the sense that uh this the, the, we the, stick the with water, biblical flooding well the point of the point of it is this was um like within 20 minutes it was like oh the water's in the middle of the street oh it's kind of high on the middle of the street oh it's on the sidewalk okay now it's at the door and, it, and now it's three inches at the door. So the reason the Apollo 13 analogy would be, well, what do we have on the boat? Because the, it's like, well, what do we have? What can we stop this with? And so we, we took all of our like packing wrap and packing and we you created You didn't stop a it with barrier. Speedmasters? No, we didn't. It, did, it took a lot longer than 13 seconds too. But anyway, but we were able to, uh, we were, the, the, the incredible yuck of, of that, of that moment, uh, only went back about six squ- squares in the, the front of the store. Oh so if you look at the front of the store, you can count back about six squares, and that, that's where the, the water mess stopped.
0: Well, it, to, to put it into perspective, California erased uh, around a decade or a half decade or so's worth of drought, full drought in, what, a month three or months, just a couple yeah. weeks? Uh, I mean, it was... It was just back-to-back-to-back to back to back storms last year. And if you were a water. skier last year, it was quite a good year to be a skier. And we'll get to that in a second.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I remember but, that when I was boarding that flight in Heathrow, I had all mm-hmm. my friends and family messaging me saying oh my goodness, you're so lucky. You're going out to California. And it was a a very cold winter in the UK. And so I was leaving like the minus centigrade temperatures. It was bitter. And, you know, I packed a jumper to come out, but I was like, and I remember Russ saying to me, look, you know, when you come out, we're going to take you around. You don't need to bring a suit, you know, bring like, you know, proper like walking boots and like casual clothes and stuff. And I remember I had like, I, and he said, oh, pack a scarf. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take a scarf for the air conditioned aircraft, you know, the jetliner. Anyway, I'm leaving and everyone's saying, oh, we're really jealous. We're really jealous. And I arrive and I remember walking out of the airport and thinking, oh yeah, actually, I'm going to put my barber jacket back on. And then Rob came and picked me up and I was like, oh wait, the AC isn't running in the car. Like we don't need it. And like, and very quickly, I remember the next morning coming into the store and just being like, where am i this is not california and i'm still getting text messages from my husband saying like oh is it super hot do you need sun cream like da, da, da. and i was just like no 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 no." we have got this all wrong and the thing was when people said okay right the storms are especially bad now but like yeah winter can be like this like it's not all sunshine and surfing like you know it could and that i think was the start of a 10-day trip that completely changed my perception of of Northern California, like it completely changed it.
0: Well, take us through on the map. I know I I saw photos of it. I know you guys went to the mountains. You spent some time locally around the ocean. You guys went to the forest. I know these things kind of inspired the collection. There's one watch in the collection to me that really stands out. And we should probably just point this out straight off the top. There are four watches in this collection. What are they? And I think as we describe what they are, then we'll get into maybe each of the locations or the stories that kind of go into them. I have a white dialed one with orange accents in front of me. What's the story with this watch, Nicholas? Why don't you take it? Well, away? actually, wait, hold on. Uh, so I, I have a white one with orange accents. That's one of the watches.
1: Yep. Uh, Russ, what's the one in front of you? The well, I've got the one that's the kind of dark, kind of grayish blue.
0: Okay. White axe. White, white. Oh, there's accent. two in front of you. Okay. There's Correct. a green one as well. What's that? And a green one. With,
1: it's a Kind of a teal-green one with gold <laughs> accents.
2: Love that. And then, Rob,
0: there's a fourth. What's the fourth?
2: Um, the fourth one is the the green and white with uh, the interesting dots. Oh, it
0: has Which kind of like a, like a gradient or so, a pattern or something on the dial. Yes. Okay. So, Nicholas, each of these watches kind of has a story. It's tied to a very specific place from your frigid winter California tour. And I just remember seeing... 'Cause I know part of this trip was spent with Rick, and maybe we'll start start with the Rick story. The
2: Rick, the Rick part it, Is um, that last? That's later. That that's doesn't relate to this. Oh, it doesn't market. relate to
0: this. It okay. Doesn't relate to this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I just remember seeing photos. It might relate to that. something yes. in the future, but it yeah. doesn't relate that to this. It could these. relate to something else. <laughs> okay, but that's, okay. uh, that's not happening now. Okay. If so it did, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at a map.
2: Oh. Oh, this is amazing. oh, this is the artwork that John produced. Right. Okay. Yep. So my so, my son, John Kaplan, uh pr- uh produced a series of uh, of stickers sort of celebrating. He, oh, he's a cool. really cool artist celebrating the um, sort of the spirit yeah. uh, of each watch. And so what you're looking at there is like, it's it's a map of Northern California and it shows that like the geographic inspiration shown in a little sticker. Oh, that's cool. Um, and, each watch comes with two stickers of each of the four for each of the four watches, and a little map showing the inspiration point of each of them. Super um, cool. One, one to stick and one to keep.
0: Uh, listener, I'm looking at kind of a, a whimsical drawing again, like a topographic, a whimsical topographic Boy Scout style map yeah. of Northern California with little iconography of different activities and each of these activities must represent each of the watches right yes exactly. yeah okay perfect so i see a t here in the bay area obviously that must be topper and then what looks like a
2: kayak or a boat or something right. so
0: uh, which is on the pacific coast it's what the is last that? one oh yeah, that's the last that,
2: one that's uh that's for the, the we should gr- do that one last because gr- gr- okay one. well <laughs> the order actually kind of <laughs> matters at yeah. all
0: this yeah. which one is first we should start with the white one
2: okay Perfect. Uh, so
0: I have a textured white dial, again, California dial. So that is Arabic numerals on the bottom, Roman numerals on the top. These are applied markers, orange accents. This is my favorite of the four. This is a super cool piece. These are my colors. I love everything about this watch. So
2: Nicholas, what's the story? Nicholas comes up with really fun code names for for watch projects.
3: That he and
2: is. Uh, in, this one, in this watch, actually, aside from the watch having a really fun... Um, codename which we'll get to in a second this watch has a, had a fun like like sort of inside baseball nickname which yep. i've been wanting to talk to you about this forever but um so nicholas what was the name of this project in
3: general the code so name? the whole the whole project had the secret code name of project shovel
2: right and, and why was it and why was it called project shovel
3: well so when i was when I was out in the snow with Russ, we were having to shovel lots of snow just to get out Hot of stuff. the house, you know, just to get to the garage. And I don't think I've ever shoveled so much snow and such high, <laughs> thick snow in my life. And This, and is, it's, this is snow it, up it, in Tahoe. And, and, and snow, by this the this way, just, just
1: for fun, Tahoe. we should stick a picture of the show notes because it's really out of control. Yeah. Oh, oh I mean, and it these are, was crazy. These are, full like, on,
0: like, these are full on A-frames in the Lake Tahoe yeah, area ta- that are buried. buried. In Truckee. Truckee, uh, well, California.
2: Very, yeah.
1: There, there was ultimately
2: so Not much... Not to be confused with yeah. friend of
1: the show, <laughs> Labrador, Truckee. There was ultimately so much snow in our house that the snow actually went up to the second story of the house. And we eventually had to get the snow shoveled off the roof of the house because the, the doors started getting a little bit sticky and that wasn't good. Yep.
0: So you did a lot of shoveling. So I already you're you're 48 hours into your vacation, questioning <laughs> life,
2: <laughs> life decisions.
0: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm has, out there. Russ and, has put yeah. you to work.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then again, it was nice. and You tasty, have to know Nicholas. Inside. Well, actually, just listening to him. you could picturing him shoveling snow is about as fish out of water comedy as you know you can get. <laughs> well, so so Project
0: Shuffle. Pro, excuse me, Project Shovel is the code name. For the quartet. So actually, if we want to do them
1: in sequence, okay, the first one in a way oh, was, was the lake one. one. Oh. Just because the first day that we were there was the least of the stormy days. Right. And because of it, it let us both have him see Lake Tahoe, which you'd never seen before. Yeah. And that was which we did after we took him skiing. So you took him
2: right up to the lake, right? And it was kind of a calm, socked in day.
1: It was lightly stormy, but not, and it was like flurrying mm. at that point. Mm. It was before it just dumped. Mm-hmm.
3: And well, you tell us Nicholas, cause it was. Oh, I mean, so I knew when coming out that I was going to see some incredible sites, you know, Rob had sent me a few, you know, Google images of, of things. And I was like, wow, this looks amazing. And I mean, the countryside and nature in America is like the UK times 10. Like, you know, we have some beautiful sites but America is just like, it's ridiculous. You kind of look at it going, this is done by nature, not like a planner, <laughs> like it's incredible. <laughs> and so what I had packed along with like walking boots, a barber jacket, a jumper, warm gloves, I also packed a Pantone color chart. So oh. I had that in my barber jacket because I knew Forgot. that when I was going to see these amazing sites, there were going to be a lot of colors that were going to be very like incredible that I wouldn't have seen normally and i've learned over the years you can take a snap on an iphone but it's never that color and sometimes it's how it feels is that color and so it became a bit of a joke that we'd be driving around like russ would be driving and you know shout out to he's an amazing snow driver and we're driving through all the snow and then we'd suddenly stop and i'd be like oh my goodness look at that and so he would pull in and like get out and into the snow and i'd be kind of going up with the color chart going like Ooh, it's this Pantone. Right. Make a note of that. Memorize that because you know, otherwise you could forget exactly oh, I love that. the feel of it. And I, I mean, Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, I, I'd seen images, but I don't seen images of it in the summer. For anyone listening in the UK, if you've never seen Lake Tahoe, Google it. In the summer images, it's incredible. Very distinctive colours, very distinctive look. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's an enormous, it. super deep
0: freshwater lake in the heart of the Sierra Nevada range in California. And large.
2: Quite large. So <laughs> people often drive around with bumper stickers mm-hmm. that say, keep Tahoe blue. That's and right. It's a very, very vibrant, deep blue. That's right. Um, and that was something we really wouldn't want to put on a watch because, I don't know, I feel like... It's, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a little too on the nose. It's out there. Yeah. So how would you describe this blue, the blue that you saw?
3: So the winter, yeah, the blue you see in the winter. I mean, Tahoe is is not this bright summer blue. It is a cold blue, but it's a blue. I mean, okay, it was cold. There was snow on the ground, but the sky was light. You know, it wasn't stormy when we were there. It was so cold, so calm, so quiet and when you're looking at the blue, and this goes to what Russ just, you know, it, it, it's such a, you know, deep lake. It means that you're looking into the depths of this and it's, it's mesmerizing and it's got mm-hmm. so much gray in there. And it's not like a, oh, mm-hmm. it's a navy blue. It's, it's a very unique blue. And this is why I was that, that weird British guy by the side of the road, holding my Pantone chart up going, I need to memorize this color because I will not be able to recreate this. And I'm glad I did, because when I look at the photos I took on my iPhone, they look like a dark blue lake, but they don't have that coldness and that stillness.
0: You, you nailed this. I spent a ton of time looking at color charts and stuff. And this, this is a very kind of beguiling shade of blue. And it only comes from somebody who has done exactly what you did. They stood at the edge of something and they stared into it and it sort of stared back. There's sort of a wetness. This is a lacquer dial. It must be, but yes. um, <clears throat> but you said there's a gray to it, and that's exactly that's exactly that's exactly it. And and uh, and Tahoe is sort of a known entity. Rob, to your point, people know what that color looks like. This to me feels like a new it's a it's a it's a new kind of shade of blue that I haven't seen in watchmaking. I think people who make the association will make it quite quickly. And I just want to point out that IWC did uh, the Top Gun, the Lake Tahoe edition in 2022, I think it was released at uh, at the show. And no knock against IWC, I love the Tahoe, super cool. It's a white ceramic pilot's watch. They did this whole kind of Pantone color story thing. and, And as cool as that watch is, I don't feel like it has earned the right to be called Tahoe because it's just white. It doesn't do any I feel like it kind of missed, you know, they, they had this really great opportunity to do something interesting with Lake Tahoe, with the Tahoe region. And all they did was do white ceramic. So, but again, it, it is a highly interpretive, you know, I think their idea is like the Sierra Nevada from high above a pilot's view, everything is black and white. So that's Tahoe. But I think Tahoe is so much more than that. And I love that the, the, the quite literal and figurative depth that you guys mm. went to achieve this color. It looks beautiful on the suede strap. Rob, you were saying that this watch looks quite different on
2: the bracelet, too. Is that what's the story there? So, so all of these watches come with a special strap that's curated specifically for the watch um, that Nicholas spent a lot of energy creating. But you can also buy um, the Fierce bracelet for an extra four hundred dollars, um, which is really true of all Fierce watches, um, right? All, all Brunswick watches that yeah, there's and and the bracelets
3: bracelet. are all like. We were talking earlier about different finishes on bracelets. What the way we did our five-link bracelet, we wanted it to have a feel that it wasn't vintage, it's not like a beads of rice, but it's also kind of got a little bit of dressiness that plays with the polishing and the brushing on the case. So that when you put it together, it all feels very integrated and yeah. and together. As yeah, it it really does change the feel of the watch quite considerably.
2: So the the level of lacquer. And the level of wetness is something that has always been a focus for me as I visualized how these pieces should be. When Nicholas and I discussed the first white dial watch, uh, the, the first topper edition white dial, I asked him, the Brunswick you have, the existing 38 millimeter Brunswick, scale of one to 10, how wet is it? And he said, basically, it's a six, six out of 10. And the way that watch is made, it's a series of layers of white, like white after white after white, but there aren't clear layers put on top of the white. And so when we did our white, the white watch that you know from 2022, was it? So that watch, Nicholas described as um, our goal was to get it as an eight, um, an, eight, an, eight <laughs> in, an eight out of 10 in terms of wetness. We wanted this watch to be about a nine, I think. So the 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 you could call this one the the wettest, uh, you know w- wettest fears. Yeah, but what's interesting is the strap that Nicholas picked on it. The sort of blue, would you call it a suede? What would you? What uh, suede?
3: It's a, a newbuck buffalo strap. Yeah, new, new buck buffalo.
2: Like when that strap is on it, the watch does not look significantly wetter than it does when um the the what then the white watch but you put that watch on a bracelet and it and it looks like you know it, it does it's have like an extra an extra sh- a shimmering level so um and i, t- I really- i'll throw
3: in a little anecdote the uh the conversation i had with our dial maker in germany to try and explain to him that we wanted to make this wetter than the previous white dial and it, you suddenly realize that you know th- this poor german andreas gentleman, Andreas is like, Nicholas, explain to me the the wetness. What do you mean by the wetness? I'm trying to translate (laughs) it and I don't understand what it means. And it's like, you know, so I ended up having to call him up and basically say to him, look, you know, imagine you're looking into dark water. So the water is clear, but it's dark, but it's still, you know, and I'll just say with all the dials, it was a real case of, I had to take the dial maker on the journey. I had to explain yeah, yeah. to them what I'd seen okay. and what I was trying to recreate because these are hands down the most complex dials we have ever made. I and I know in a previous podcast we've we've, we've you, you guys have mentioned this about baking them and getting them right. And yeah, I think I know I know at the point where the dials were you know signed off for going to production, you know, the dial maker called me up and literally he was saying to me, and he was like, I am on a cigarette break. This is what your dials are doing for me. (laughs) And he said, I love it because it's creative and it pushes us and the R&D, but he said, my goodness, you know, this and, but for me, I take it like, that's what's exciting. It goes right back to what Rob was saying. Like when we were doing the next watches, we couldn't have done just a simple change the colour, you know, and I'm really glad. And now we see them. I'm really pleased because I look at this watch, and I see that layby on the road circling Lake Tahoe, and I see the snow coming down to the water's edge in the white painted appliques, which are hand applied onto that wet lacquer dial. And so, when I look at this, I've, I've, I'm literally seeing I'm back there, freezing cold, with Ross saying, "Close the door <laughs> to the car," and you know it, that for me is wonderful. So.
2: We chose to name this watch, we, uh, we did, we, which we didn't do on the first watch, but each of the four watches has a name. So this watch is called Winter Lake. And we specifically didn't call it Tahoe because like the color and the look was sort of something that might have only applied the day that Nicholas saw it, or just sort of the feeling you get looking at a lake on a specific day. No and
0: I think I think the, the the dial story with each of these is is really really unique and we could probably spend all day <laughs> on each dial but what I what I want to do real quick is we'll dive into just real quick Nicholas mentioned the journey so Russ take us through kind of the next couple stops real quick I know so Nicholas all four of these dials were a challenge for your dial maker I love that the blue, though, is kind of emblematic of the collection as a whole. Real quick, Russ, what was the second stop on that journey? So we'll just that was the crazy. first
1: day. The second day we got there, we took you skiing.
0: Skiing, okay. Yeah.
1: And that day, it all of a sudden, it, it, it started to absolutely dump. So there was open on the mountain, basically one little lift at the bottom, or two little lifts at the bottom, which is where it was that we took – Nicholas, who had never been skiing before. So you
3: could tell us how you felt about all that. I Nicholas is a good skier, Russ? We're a work in progress. <laughs> I think the work in progress, I realized because exactly a year ago yesterday, my Facebook reminded me and showed me a photograph at the end of the skiing lesson that Russ gave me. And I'm, I'm stood there in all the ski gear and he's next to me and like holding on to me so I don't fall over. And I shared that photo with the rest of my my team at fears so that they could see right. like this was linked to the watches we were creating. And the, <laughs> my head of commercial came back within seconds saying, I have never looked I have never seen you look so terrified in my life.
1: <laughs> so there's a great quote Perfect. that came from that day. And the quote was this: as he was after, you know, we fooled around a little bit, got him kind of going and making a few little turns. He went down the hill sort of for one of the first times by himself and you know, not such a big hill, but a little hill by himself. And as he was heading towards the slow sign, after he kind of perhaps had a little interaction with the slow sign, he said to me, so, is that slow sign there to slow you down?
0: <laughs> In a way, yes. Uh, which watch is
1: inspired by uh, the ski trip? So it didn't happen. It happened uh-huh. later that day, at which point we tried to leave. And then then as we got to the road, and remember snowing. I, it was a full-on blizzard. And it, I should have taken some indication that when we got on to 80, because there's a, we got on 80 to head towards the summit, the fact that we were perhaps one of the only two cars on the road <laughs> might have been an indication that maybe
3: this wasn't going to go perfectly. Mm-hmm. And we went up to it. You, you tell them what we did. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'd never experienced such things when driving, like chain control, the idea you have to stop and put chains on your tires and all this. But we're driving along. And I'm I'm sat next to Russ and we were going along and the road is getting smaller down to one lane. And I'm like, this is not an interstate anymore. And then suddenly out of like, with no warning, you just couldn't tell where the road, the side of the road, the sky stopped. Like it was just white in front of us. And we almost came to a complete standstill. And, and Russ was explaining, yeah, this is a whiteout where basically you can't see anything. You can't see where you're going. And then suddenly we saw the orange high visibility of the chain control people basically saying, look, the interstate's closed. You need to get off. You need to go home. <laughs> and it was that thing where, I mean, I had full confidence in Russ's driving, but I suddenly was quite scared because I'm like, I've never experienced this before. And, and, and he had. So it was, yeah, absolutely bizarre. We don't get weather like that. We don't get snow like that in the United Kingdom.
0: And I think we're have their whiteout conditions right now yep. in the Sierra. I think we're having one of those storms as we record this, so it should be a good. I mean, these are these are banner conditions for skiing in. So that was the inspiration, and this dial has more of kind of a texture to it, as though it's freshly fallen snow. Right? Is that the? Again, yep. I I've, I said this a moment ago, but this is my favorite watch of the four. It's quite quite cool. Well, but this is, is the, what the texture is.
3: So yes, the when we wanted to do texture, we wanted to capture snow, but we didn't want it to be like snow up close it had to be like when you're in the car or on the ski slope when you're looking down at the snow but this was where when we went through several different samples of getting the texture but also getting the way the light reflects on it i remember russ and i had quite a lot of conversations about this about how to get it so it actually feels like snow when you've got a bit of light capturing so it has it's not totally matte it does have a bit of a reflector so I, it is wow. a dial that I I don't think I've seen a dial that really captures snow quite like this.
0: That's quite cool, and I, it, it, it's it's immediately known what that is trying to convey. I think you know at, at at a glance, which is very cool.
2: Right. I mean, for for those with a more adventurous spirit, as uh, Nicholas was alluding to, you know, orange is sort of the man made color that's used as sort of a guiding thing <laughs> for whiteout conditions. Mm-hmm. So uh, Russ, who is you know an incredibly dedicated skier, um, will uh, we'll ski it in, in any condition. And uh, orange is really the only color, you know, that, you know, we're above water, right? So orange is one of the most uh, visible colors that there is. That's what the slow signs are, are made out of. And it's sort of to capture that sort of nature and also man feeling of uh, sort of white out in beauty.
1: By the way, I did like our other little beat name. when We were talking about this watch of. We talked about this watch both. Uh, the tribute to chain control, yeah, which is, o- is, Z- to which is tribute to chain control. Zach's
2: least favorite thing of all time. Yeah, I don't love because, that shorthand. And, I and the reason it is, is quite because funny. Zach's I get it now. like <laughs> Zach's like chain control is is like what gets you in your way, and it's why would you aggravate. why would you want to have a watch? So I know it's true. Yeah. Chain chain control
0: prevents me from getting to the lift line. Right. Uh, I've also, I've also had the, the very distinct displeasure many years ago of driving a rented car while my Subaru was in the shop up to a meeting in Tahoe. It was a two wheel drive and I had to put chains on on the side of 80 in, uh, just outside of Auburn there. Uh, do not recommend, not fun. Do not want to watch to be associated with those bad memories. <laughs> so, <laughs> take us to the third stop on uh, on this whistle so, stop. So
1: end. after we got off the freeway, we went home, where we proceeded to then get stuck there for the next two days. There was three days, wasn't it? Three days? Yeah, three no, days. it was a long... Yeah. Three days, yeah. I know
2: a lot of people loved looking at uh, Nicholas's Instagram, where he was, he was cataloging, uh, like... Attempt to attempt to drive home like number three
1: because because you tried to
2: you tried to get him home like t- like two times a day.
1: What, one of my favorite times was we did stop by chain control one time and the guy working at chain control says, "Oh, you again." I went, "Okay, great." It shows you how many people were actually trying to leave. Anyways, we finally got out. So as we were sitting there in our house, it's behind the house are some really large pine trees, and um, the last watch, which.
3: We internally have called Snowed In. Um, you can explain it, Nicholas. So yeah, with the, the Snowed In watch, it's it's got white on it, but it's very different from the white-out watch. So that's very much when you're out and you're just seeing all snow and a little bit of the orange. With Snowed In, it's going, right, you've got these beautiful big trees in the garden. And I'm sat there, you know, doing some emails and looking at these trees and just thinking, it's so beautiful how the snow is hitting the branches. But then you start looking at it carefully and you go, well, I can still see the brown of the the trunk of the tree, but I can still see some green. And actually, closer into the center of the tree, you can see more green. And then, you know, it's just one of those things when you actually stop and spend five minutes with a cup of tea staring at a tree in the snow. I highly recommend it, it's very calming. You suddenly notice that the snow is gathering on the edge and it gets less as it comes in. And so for this, for this watch, we really wanted to capture that essence of, you know, if you were looking at a tree. But the thing is, we didn't want it to just feel too literal. It, it couldn't just feel like, oh, it looks like tree bark or it looks like a pine tree. And this is this is where I'm very grateful to have an amazing designer working with me because we kept going backwards and forwards with ideas. Then we went on to a Zoom with Russ and Rob, and we we're talking about this, coming up with our ideas. And then we came up with this idea of what if we did it with a gradient, but in a slightly more pop art style with dots. And that's what's given us this incredible dial.
0: No, I I love this. And this is emblematic kind of of the rest of the collection, which are beautiful each in and of themselves, but in a singular fashion, they're very sort of interpretive. And you can know the story behind the watch and appreciate it or not know the story at all and still appreciate it that you're doing something special here. I think that's extremely cool.
2: One of the things that's interesting about my reaction when I saw Nicholas's first mock-up was it it reminded me a lot of one of my favorite pop artists, which is Roy Lichtenstein. And it was interesting to me because he uses dots in a lot of his art, but he does it in a very different way. He does it as sort of a, a commentary of sort of like what is art and how the idea of the dots that are used in newsprint ending up on paintings. And I remember my father introducing me to Lichtenstein when I was like 11, 12 years old on a trip to the Tate Gallery in England and seeing this painting called Wham!, which was a painting of this fighter pilot, which had all of these.
1: Was it about uh, the band? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> it was about a, a fighter pilot blowing up another uh, another another pilot in this vibrant color and the shading was all done in dots And I remember getting close to it and just seeing all of these dots and I'm like how is this painting just made up of dots and it's like oh it's this it, it, it it's like translating that what would have been in like newspaper print mm-hmm. into this other medium and I thought it was apparently Nicholas had also, you know, English lad that he is had, uh, has been to the Tate, seen the same painting, and it, we have this sort of nice sort of shared experience. So I, I like the idea that you could have sort of that same visual experience looking at this watch, but in more macro sense, like you look at it from far away and you don't see that the whole painting is made up of dots. And then if you were look at it close or look at it macro, you get that same feeling that you get like walking up to a, a Liechtenstein. And that was sort of after I saw the first mock up. I mean that was sort of a goal that I sort of wanted people to have experiencing it to have that sort of feeling.
0: And I think what makes that unique is the abstract works really well in nature too, because you don't know <laughs> if the eye is supposed to be drawn towards the colored contrast in the center of the dial or the negative white space surrounding it as well. And you sort of get that effect as you're sort of staring through a window contemplating your life choices about why did you come out to Northern California in January in the middle of a century (laughs) record-breaking snowfall.
3: (laughs) Um, This was the most challenging dial to make, wasn't it? Oh, yes. The final dial was actually the ninth prototype. And the dial maker, we, we tried four different ways of printing on dials. I mean, this this has taken a year to develop this and get to this. And to say, like, there has been a lot of R&D and a lot of late nights with the dial maker and with us also coming up with suggestions and ideas and, you know, having to speak to other dial makers around the world and going to Switzerland to get additional help. Like, this is one very complex dial. But what I love is when you look at it, it doesn't immediately grab you with that complexity. And I think that's important. You shouldn't look at it and get sort of worried about it. You look at it and it's just, yeah, it's very calming. It's beautiful. It is
0: very it is very disarming in its simplicity, but there is a, it hides a lot of complexity. And I think that underscores what's amazing about this whole collection and about fears as a whole is there is a simplicity to everything, but the simplicity is hiding an incredible amount of attention to detail <coughs> and persistence in getting these details right and honestly you know you made four watches here you probably could have done just one i mean all any one of these watches is strong enough to stand on its own and be the sequel to the series one collaborative edition that you did back in 2022 um okay so there was a fourth stop on this this road trip
2: so um, eventually happy did, happy fun time we yeah, did, eventually get to go home. did eventually uh cross uh <laughs> Cross uh, Donner Pass, yep. which uh, <laughs> which is commemorated in in one of my son's stickers, and they did they did get home. So um, I took Nicholas to one of my my family's favorite spots, which is sort of our go to uh, Pacific Ocean spot. It's about thirty minutes from the store, uh, and it's sort of halfway in between Half Moon Bay and Pacifica, and took him to one of um, our our favorite lunch spots, which is right next to uh, Half Moon Bay Kayak Company. Which friend friend of our store, Chris Manchester, owns. Um, Shout out, Chris! What up, Chris? Um, (laughs) And so we were looking at the the sun was out, and we were like looking at the water, and the water had just this really, really unusual color to it.
3: Um, Nicholas, how would you describe the color? Well, it was green, but it wasn't green. It was blue, but not blue. Like it was, it was again lots of different colors going on but it wasn't just oh the blue of the ocean and i think I, uh, that for me just stopped me and was like well why is it like that why why is the water looking like that and so we actually called chris up to ask you know
2: wh- why we were seeing what we were seeing and he said that there is in this particular area in between hapan bay and pacifica it's a little bit even unique from how it would be like a little bit farther north, there just happens to be a lot of mica and pyrite in the sand. And so pyrite is uh, f- fool's gold, more conventionally, conventionally known. Um, a lot of prospectors probably would have come to a spot like that, thought they'd have struck it rich in in, the, in uh, about the time when the earlier Fears uh, uh, leaders were running the company a couple centuries ago. But I guess the, the goal of, of this piece was to capture both the gold elements and the green elements. So,
3: can you talk a little bit about the colors that
2: are used um, in this piece?
3: Yeah. So, we wanted to capture that, that shade of green that you get when you've got the, the pyrite and the, the, the mica in there in the water. But, I mean, when you went down to the sand, if you like picked up the sand and held it, you could see the sparkle. A fool's wait gold.
0: let me let me let me pause you for a second. so I, I want to set the scene a little bit. You did a good job of getting the geographical location, but what what time of day are we talking about? And also is it raining? Is it still raining?
2: No, it's sunny.
0: Okay, so it's, it's sunny sunny. This is on the Pacific side near half Moon Bay. You're looking at a shallow sort of tidal pool situation. Or no, at... we're,
2: we're like we're looking out like right to the right next to the marina in half okay. moon Bay. Right, um, actually, you're facing west, so you're maybe looking um, into facing this, uh, west. Sit at a restaurant, uh, uh-huh. Sam's, uh-huh. Chowder Sam's house Nic- Nicholas Sam's is Chowderhouse. actually drinking from a Sam's Chowderhouse cup. <laughs> Listener, uh, right.
0: uh, Nicholas is raising his Sam's Chowderhouse mug that he's probably having a little and, tea and
2: uh, just looking looking out looking out at the ocean, looking at the water, looking at the ocean, and it is super calm, oh, super calm. Love that, but yep. because of all of the storms that there had been for the previous week. A lot of the sediment had been stirred up and okay. churned into the water. Yep. Oh, I love this. Okay.
0: And and what we're looking at with this particular dial at a glance is it is a it's a green and gold interpretation that goes exactly. This I love. But this.
3: the thing with the gold is, you know, you have eighteen karat yellow gold and it looks very yellow. It's very bright. You know, we all know what what gold yellow gold looks like. But of course, fool's gold doesn't actually look like gold. It's a very mm. pale, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. color, but it's very pale, it's very minerally. Mm-hmm. And so for this, it was a, a way of working with our handmaker in particular and go, right, we wanna capture fool's gold in a metallic sense. So not painting it, but plating it. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, they worked out a way to make the hands and the appliques where they plate them first in pure silver And then they do a flash gold plating. So 18 karat yellow gold, but only for half a second. Mm. And that gives this wonderful pale fool's gold look to it. So it's not like a vintage gilt Mm dial, but it's got the gold. And then on the actual printing, we put into the ink flakes of, of gold real gold beautiful and so it and just it doesn't sparkle it's not shiny but no. it has that like essence and that's very much what you could see with the water you, you know you, and if you picked up the sand you could see the pyrite in it and it's that combination of that that deep kind of bluey green teal but then also with this wonderful pale fool's gold appearance
0: that's amazing. That
3: spot is one of my favorite spots
2: on earth. It's where, you know, great to go for a nice lunch. I actually, I love kayaking. Um, you can rent a kayak at, at uh, Chris's place and really have a beautiful outing on the, on the Pacific.
3: There well, was it was a the first t- time you took me out. I'd never been on a kayak in my life. Did you see any sea otters or any cool wildlife yeah. that you guys were we yeah. did. Okay. Oh, we yeah. did. So yeah, Rob oh, yeah, and Robin something- I went out kayaking together,
2: yeah. Something that was funny that Chris pointed out was apparently, um, like the dock where the, there are sea otters and sea lions, but appara- they used to be on a shared dock and apparently the dock broke in half, and so all of the sea lions were on one half and all of the seals were on the other. And... and What does this say? Yeah, I don't know what it's... And, yeah, that's, that's what everyone was saying. Like, what does this <laughs> say about the world? But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, it we also love there like right where you where you take off um where the boats are, to the right of it, there's like all of these rocks which are just filled with crabs, like crabs, crabs, crabs. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you look, these mm-hmm. little rock crabs. And my daughter loves turning over the rocks and grabbing the crabs. It's just it's a really happy place for me. And so the uh-huh. idea that Here's this this watch that's celebrating this place and talking to mm. some other people um that are really active in Barrier watch community. Um apparently it's a meaningful spot for them too. Um, oh, I love that. In a way, I'm really excited that this
1: So you know this watch is you know, I, I, I knew
0: I knew one of these four stories of the watches. I knew the whiteout story because we talked about chain control prior. I knew the blue one was kind of based on Lake Tahoe, but I didn't know the stories about Nicholas and the Pantones. I did not know the Pacifica story at all. And honestly, having knowing that now and kind of seeing this sort of neither gold nor yellow nor green, it's this really beguiling color. All of these color stories are really interesting because they're not Sue on the nose. It's not blue. It's not green. It's not this. It's not that. And there's a, there's a warmth and a depth to not just the story, but the dials themselves, which I think is really cool. And being a, a, both a resident and a fan of the state of California, I feel like you guys have really done California a solid here. And, and this state is incredibly complex and unique and has so many of these amazing color stories mm-hmm. that like you chose to do something that wasn't on the nose. And I love that.
1: And by the way, one of my feel, very favorite things about here is how... We kind of tend to go from storm to nice with nothing in between. And I love the fact that these watches go from all of that storm craziness to nice. And it happened literally the next day. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. In a way,
2: I feel like these watches are almost like a tribute. Like to your world. Because I feel like you're like the most outdoorsy, definitely of the three of us. <laughs> well, I mean. but that's
0: what I'm that's what I'm saying. I spend a ton of time outdoors. I spend a ton of time looking at colors and trying to read color and read light. And like I I appreciate the amount of time and effort that you've put into this. Cause like you really, you really care about this. And Rob, I mean, it's a these are sentimental places. These are great stories. Russ, these are I mean, Tahoe is important to you as well, the place that you recreate. And I love it. I really love it. And uh congratulations. So I feel like so this so this collection as a whole, we kind of skipped over this part entirely. This is a series two topper edition, essentially, a topper X. This is a Fears X Topper edition series two, but this is a tribute to Northern California, yeah. essentially. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Listener, by the time you hear this podcast again, this capsule will be out. There's a chance that. The watches would have been available at the beginning of this podcast, and if you waited <laughs> to the end of this podcast, it's possible they may not be available anymore. Uh, that remains to be seen. But Nicholas, you will be joining us. by the, So when you hear this podcast, we will have, if, if you move quickly, we're having a special event with you, Nicholas. You'll be able to meet Nicholas here in the store in Burlingame the day after the launch. What day is that, fellas? The day Sorry. of the launch. Day On of the launch.
2: January 19th. Yep.
0: January nineteenth, Topper Jewelers, five thirty PM, twelve ninety four, Berlin Game Ave. Uh, meet Nicholas. See the boys. See the watches. Uh, this is an amazing capsule collection. You guys
2: really did something cool here. How many pieces of each are going to be available? Twenty five of each. Twenty five each, which is the same number as the the first one. Rob, which one's your favorite? That's a tough one. No, it's not. It really is. (laughs) Um, There's a, apparently I asked my, my daughter the same question when she was having like two kinds of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And she said, if, if it's positive, I'll just say, I like them both. (laughs) I like them all for different reasons. I think like, If there's one that I feel like looks more different than other things that have been done, it's definitely uh, Snowden. If there's one that probably has more personal meaning to me than any of the others, I would say it's um, Pacific. Mm -hmm. And if there's one that's probably the prettiest, it would be the blue. And if there's one that's the coolest, it's the white.
0: (laughs) That's a good answer, though. It was a classic, like I love all my children the same, and the kids are all like, "No, she doesn't." <laughs> Russ, which one's your favorite? I,
1: I hate to say this, I actually really agree with Rob on this one. Oh, uh, man, it's a, I've been come. going, I've been waffling back and forth about this ever since we did these, yeah. and so you know that description of you know this should be Burlingame, California, where all the, the sun is always shining and all the children are above average. That's how I feel about these. Yeah. I love that.
2: <laughs> or you could I, say they're all in fourth place.
0: I like yeah, yeah, that's true, true too. And Nicholas will finish on your opinion of these. I just want to say my favorite is still the or, the white dial with the orange markings, the not chain control because I refuse to <laughs> white out. And uh, you know, I I love it because it it is probably the most traditional of the three in a sense that it's a white dial with orange ac- orange accents, but it's been done in a fierce way. And in a topper way, that makes it quite special, and uh, I think that's extremely cool. And uh, Nicholas, which uh, which is your favorite?
3: Well, I mean, I feel at this point I should be saying I love them all equally, but I have to say, well, I would say the uh, Pacific is the one which got closest to my original feeling of going out to California in January. There was at least a little bit of sun poking <laughs> through the clouds. <laughs>
0: uh respect to you for coming to California in January and I will say to anybody who has travel aspirations our our many friends in Sweden who have aspirations to come to California in January it is warmer in California in northern California in January than it is in Sweden but I will also say that like you know again this collection represents the incredible terrain and environmental diversity and variety that you get here And you guys have a pretty fun story behind it to boot. So um, thank you for sharing that. Nicholas, thank you for joining us. I know this is a long one. I know it's quite late where you are now as well. So thank you doubly for that. And I really look forward to seeing you very soon in a little over a week's time.
3: Be wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you.
0: Great stuff. Uh, Fellas, thank you again as always. Listener, thank you. If you have questions for us or for Nicholas, podcast at topperjewelers.com. And uh, until next time, we will catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. Thank you.